It's time to step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Three-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Two-time Toasted Music City Best Sports Reporter. And Glenn Blackwell. Brought to you by E610 Athletes. It's time to talk all things hockey in the Music City. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Good evening and welcome to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Josh, and we have a full slew of interns in here helping with Stats Spider, Jack, Danielle, Abigail, all in studio joining us. And hey, my chauffeur, Alex, is in here too because uh, Justin's on the IR. Yes, he is. Poor little lamb. <laughs> oh, he had someone drive him here though today. I did. So. I did. Thank You're you spoiled. so much. Yeah. Oh, I mean, hey, I'm, it's my driving foot that's hurt. Yeah. So it's a hockey injury. It is. Are you doing okay, though? I am. Nothing broken, which is great. Good. Blocked Good. a shot for my team. We got Take the dub. The team. And hey, that's what matters, getting the what dub. What a valuable teammate you are. I tr- as a defenseman, I was just in the right place at the right time, meaning I was so slow I couldn't get out of the way. No. <laughs> <laughs> and no. it worked well for you. But so. hey, welcome to Penalty Box Radio. And the National Predators, for the fifth consecutive season, are in the playoffs, Glenn. Yes, they are. So at this point, I just say... It starts when the playoff starts, right? Which we do not have that schedule yet, so quit asking. Don't ask. But Dear when God. it starts, it starts. <laughs> so the Predators, fifth consecutive season. There are not many teams that have been able to accomplish that. What are the only other teams are what, the Wild, <laughs> the <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins, mm-hmm. K, and the Anaheim Ducks. Okay. <laughs> who, are, uh, who are, where are they this year? <laughs> they ain't making it. <laughs> And then the Minnesota Wild might not make it either, so it might be down to just the Penguins and the Predators uh, being in there. So, uh, yeah. But when you look at this over the course of time, and we're going to dive in way, way deeper in the show, but if you look at it over the course of time, that just shows how competitive this team has been. Yes, expectations have risen over the past few years. Totally expected for those to rise, as they should rise, because the team has overall gotten better, better contracts, better players, better overall talent better performance and what they've had in previous seasons. So I understand the expectations, but now it's the whole being competitive is not good enough. It's that you need to go and win. So last year, obviously they got the president's trophy, won the division, da, 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 da. And then they did not win in the second round game seven, mm-hmm. but they couldn't get past Winnipeg jets. And every, you could tell the Winnipeg jets were just built to beat the Preds in the second round. Cause what did they do <laughs> against Vegas? So, <laughs> but you look at the expectations here that five consecutive years seasons in the playoffs is not good enough. The 13 playoff appearances in franchise history, not, not good enough. The, people expect this team to win now, which yeah. I totally get that. But the pressure's on, and even though this team's 6-3-1 and one in their past 10 games, it's not good enough, because, and for good reason, because they haven't looked like a team that is 6-3-1 and one in their past 10 games. Yeah, and they don't look like a team that's going to go and contend for the Cup, and that's where the problem is. As you're building those expectations and you're making history – um, in those moments, the fan base can get extremely excited because you're you're knocking off first off the list, right? This is the first time they've done this mm-hmm. in franchise history. The whole town's exploding. Everybody's excited. But as that list continues to mount up and you get all these accomplishments under your belt, that expectation is hovering over your head. And you've got to find a way to be that resilient Predators team that we've all seen over the last few years. We've seen themselves – we've seen them out there be – extremely confident when 
you're looking at the scoreboard and it doesn't look like a team that can be confident in those scenarios and they find a way to dig themselves out. This year, we're not seeing that as much. And that is the team that you have got to be if you're going to make a run for the Stanley Cup. You cannot be that team that falters the second you're down two goals. And that's what we've been seeing lately, and that's where that concern has been coming from, not just because the expectation is so high, but because you can't win a Stanley Cup that way. If anything, on the positive end, they swept Minnesota in the season series, and Ryan Johansson single-handedly, it seems, three straight games. <laughs> Why old? Why old? Why old? That's <laughs> how, apparently how they do the cheer down there, because they don't know what a one-syllable word is mm-hmm. uh, up in St. Paul. But anyways... Uh, Sweeping the Minnesota Wild is one thing, but they're not producing enough. And that's that's what we're noticing, too, is yet they have plenty of guys that can score. But even against Minnesota, they're being outplayed. They're being outplayed in games that they're winning, which to me shows that your goaltenders are doing a tremendous job of keeping you in games. We're seeing that. Yusuf Saros and Pecorine overall, how, how bad could that score have been against Winnipeg? Yep. And that's, way worse. Yeah. And you obviously you want to see that, right? You want to see your sure. last line of defense be one of the strongest in the league. But what you don't want to happen is to exhaust them in rounds one and two of the playoffs. You do not want that to happen. You've got to have your full team in front of them playing their best hockey, mm-hmm. letting them be the last line of defense so they can go all the way. And that's where I think, you know, me personally, that's where I see some concern. It's like, yes, they're fantastic, but you cannot expect them to be fantastic all the way up till june no and if you don't have be, a team that's playing really strong tough. in front of them so and so overall obviously injuries have played a part in this and there's been some roster changes throughout the season uh, for those that don't know uh, mika salamaki austin watson in milwaukee on what's called long-term injury loan basically three games max that's long term isn't it uh, it's just <laughs> what the cba <laughs> denotes it as is long-term injury loan so they're going to get three games in so i'm expecting milwaukee's playing rockford tonight that's three games in a row Milwaukee's playing against Rockford. They took those first two games over the weekend against Rockford, which is big for their playoff push, but now they're getting Mika Salamaki and Austin Watson in Milwaukee. So it's a treat for those fans up there to see guys that played for so long in Milwaukee before getting a chance at the big dance and the big show. Uh, so that's that. And then those guys could be joining, which could make some roster changes. And we'll talk later on in the next segment about the additions of Ren Pitlick and, and Dante Fabro as well. Then you have a guy, Tommy Novak, who joined the Milwaukee Admirals on uh, basically a tryout agreement. And we had him on the show last week as well. So, And he already had an assist in two games. He has an assist already there too. So he has a professional point. So good for, good for him. So we're seeing lots of changes here too. And we're seeing lots of line changes and everything as well. And I know that's been frustrating for the fans. It's frustrating for a lot of people because at this point in the season, you want to start seeing some consistency, especially out of pairings. You're seeing that more so, but out of lines especially because you have new additions to this roster that still look like they're trying to fit in. Overall, Brian Boyle had way more time than Wayne Simmons or Mikael Glanlund in this in this lineup to try to get used to things. And we're not seeing that meshing as much. Yes, Glanlund is fitting in in certain ways. We're still not seeing him produce like you want him to produce, and it's not – his fault per se i think it's he's not having any consistent line mates mm-hmm. so it's hard to get comfortable yeah he had a, he received a great pass from rem pitlick the other night that created what two great chances and wasn't able to see them but he was in the right spot which is great he had those two assists on forsberg power play goals in a loss against anaheim but you want to see more same thing with with simmons sometimes i'm not saying he looks lost i'm saying it looks like he's not getting the consistent lines to make him feel like okay this is where i know i'm going to be because this guy's gonna have the puck here and this guy's gonna have the puck here so i can go here Uh, so i i want to see consistency we're starting to see that a little bit but i want more go ahead and start setting these lines and maybe things aren't working but you have to give it time and not just a period and i 
obviously I'm not an NHL coach. I'm not mm-hmm. a Stanley Cup winning coach. But I think consistency is very important just so they can get a feel for each other, especially with new guys. It's not like they've been on the same team for a long period of time for the whole season exactly. where you can just change it up when you need to because they know each other at least and you can have tendencies that you know just from watching film of your fellow teammates. But these are guys that are only a few weeks in, now a month in, and there hasn't been much consistency. And yeah. that's what I really want to see these last few games is some consistency at least for those new newer guys so they can try to get used to the system. Yeah, and hopefully that's when they're going to be able to find their place, right? Hopefully before the playoffs begin, they can utilize these last few games to get them to that point because we've talked about that just ad nauseum, how consistency is key. And it's also like we talk about top lines in the NHL. Why are they so great? Because they have that that time put mm-hmm. in with each other. They have those plays time and time again. They've become more comfortable with each other. They can read each other better. And so if they can get to that point where they find their place, those players individually are going to be able to contribute more to their role. Whereas, you know, if like you said, switch them up period after period, it's kind of like, well, where where should I be? Where where does he want me to be? Where is he going to be? Mm-hmm. And so if they can get that down, at least jumping into the playoffs, seeing a little bit of that, I think they can go out with more – each individual player can go out there with more confidence. You don't want to see them go out there and still be looking lost. And we obviously know this team has another gear that they can play mm-hmm. in. They do. Uh, we said that a lot last year, too, even though they were – I don't want to say steamrolling because they were still in direct competition with the Jets to overall win the division and the President's Trophy – but this team, obviously, with the talent they have, has another gear. Well, the last time we saw that gear, overall, was the beginning of the season. Yeah, where is that gear? <laughs> and they rode that beginning of the season start. They rode that start of the season all the way through this whole season. Like Which they have why not, they are where yeah, they are right they've now. They've not left first or second place in the division because of their start. So that shows how important that start was for them, but also shows what they what could have been. Without for injuries or without inconsistencies or not being able to score on the power play, all those things. They're able to ride basically 13 games <laughs> through the whole season to keep them where they are, kind of holding on. But the thing is, the rest of the division's been awful too when you think of consistency because Winnipeg could have just ran away with the whole thing, and they didn't. St. Louis was god-awful and now about to clinch a playoff berth, and they could still win the division. Dallas and Minnesota have been up and down all year. The Central Division has been bad this year. It really has been because you look at it based on other divisions in hockey right now, and some of these teams would be barely clean to a wild card spot uh, as it is right now. But I think that's a good sign <laughs> when you really think about it because Nashville's been able to be a little inconsistent where if they can just find the right groove come playoff time, I don't say they can breeze through, but it's a, it's a good sign that they have the talent to do that. And then looking now at the division, the way it's going to finish up, the Predators obviously have their five games remaining. Only one of them is against a team that's currently in a playoff spot, which is Pittsburgh on Friday. It's a back-to-back Columbus is on Saturday, and we're going to talk with Mark Sheeg of the hockey writer at the, the bottom of the hour to talk about the Blue Jackets, what's going on with them. Whereas Winnipeg, they have game three of their games of their six remaining games are against playoff teams. Chicago, uh, sorry, St. Louis has one, and that's Colorado, so it's on the cusp. And they have a, St. Louis has a very, very easy finish to the season against the Rangers, the Devils, Colorado, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Vancouver. When I say easy, <laughs> they they could win 
all but one of those games, mm-hmm. which makes the finish to the the year very important for seeding. We have no idea. The Predators could finish in the first of the division. They could finish in the third. They could finish without home ice advantage. Yeah, or St. Louis could absolutely find a way they to could. not win. <laughs> yeah, or St. Louis could go and win the division and force Winnipeg and Nashville yep. in round one. We don't know. That's intriguing, but also makes me clench up a little bit. It does, yeah. <laughs> it does, because as all these teams have been consistent, they can also, all these teams have that other gear. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of when are those yep. teams going to find that gear, including the National Predators. So up next, we're going to dive in more to uh, the turnover discussion, because that's been coming up so much with certain players <laughs> on the ice. And we're going to talk about Dante Fabro, Rem Pitlick, and all the new additions to the National Predators. All up next here on Penalty Box Radio, you're listening to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Josh, Spider Jack, interns Danielle and Abigail in here, providing lots of stats. We're going to go over that shortly because I have a notebook of plenty of pages I know. of I'm stats trying, I'm trying information. to peek over your computer to see them. That's a lot no of cheating. Info, No cheating. No cheating. Right. You, I'll let you go with this one. Thank you. So let's, let's touch on this first, though. We were waiting for a few days for Dante Fabro. It was one of those... I was waiting a little longer than a few days. It was one of those things, <laughs> another opportunity where fans were cheering for a team to lose <laughs> so they could see what's going to go on. And well, one, Boston, the Terriers got ravished with like four free four college guys leaving for their NHL teams. So bless you, Boston, for how your team's going to be next year. Uh, but Dante Fabio officially, he announced it Monday on his own Instagram and then we're sitting here waiting for two days for it to finally be announced by the Predators. And it was finally announced today, Dante Fabio, when he did sign that three-year entry-level contract with the Natural Predators. But he plays one game with the Predators and it burns a year. Yep. The way it's set up. Yeah, he's aged out of the must-play yep. 10 games to yep. burn a year. So he was at, at practice 20. today. That's a good sign. David Poyle <laughs> even said that he expects him to at least get some game action in. And with the way the Predators finish up the season, plenty of people in our Q&A, I have like, what, 10 questions on Dante Fabro, and that's okay. I'm going to address it now. If I'm looking at this, if I want him to get a start or play time, I'd say Columbus, better than Pittsburgh, because you, <laughs> the thing you don't really want is a mismatch being out there, especially when you're away in Pittsburgh, and all of a Sunday, all of a sudden, Sunday, all of a sudden, Dante mm-hmm. Fabro's first ingrained memory with the team is getting burned by Sidney Crosby. You don't, yeah, you don't want that for the 20-year-old who's, just, oh, who's finally got here. You don't want yeah. that. And ideally, I think just for the experience of it for him, I would prefer it to be at Bridgestone Arena sure. where you're in front of your home crowd. This is your first game. They're cheering for you. It would be really, really tough to walk into a different barn and have that experience, sure. So especially when that's Pittsburgh. Mm. So, yeah. Um, at least Rem Pitlick got to debut in Minnesota, and, his home, was, where he exactly. went to school. He had he just, just come from school there. He got <laughs> to skate the ice right before his teammates came out. And the people there were welcoming him because right. he was in Minnesota. He's obviously That's where skated he's from. in that arena exactly. before, too, so not for college that games. That was more of a celebration for, yeah. for both sides as well. So. Yeah, but Dante Fabro, if not then, then obviously they have Buffalo and Vancouver. And whew, with how Buffalo's just diving right now, mm-hmm. it's that, that actual missile sound from the cartoons. That's what Buffalo's <laughs> been doing. 
Yes. That's the, it. <laughs> yep, that one. That's what that's Buffalo right now. So there's another opportunity in Vancouver's another opportunity. I think there's plenty of opportunities to get him some playing time to see what's going to go on. And here here's my thing with Dante Fabro. I want to curb expectations that do not expect him to come and be elite. Remember how everybody was calling Seth Jones a bust? Because he was struggling a little bit trying to get in, but it takes defensemen a little bit longer to get into it. It's a tough position to play in the NHL, especially bigger bodies, faster bodies. It's difficult. Seth Jones is now a star for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, he is a franchise player for them. Yeah. It takes a while, but how many people would love to have Seth Jones still back on this team? Exactly. A yeah. lot. And that's and that's okay. It's not going to happen, but okay. And that always goes for a younger player when you've got a 20-year-old who just finished playing at the college yeah. level and is now jumping into the NHL level. You've got to let them adjust let them play right but Dante Fabro good thing with him is he has not only played college but he went and played against the big boys and we talked about this before too is that he got to play in the Spangler Cup and not saying that's the highest level because it's not the world championship which is going to be starting soon but he played against guys that are pros or former pros in the NHL and whatnot so he's playing against guys of the right body size so what to expect as well because he couldn't play in the World Juniors anymore. So that was a really good opportunity for him to play in the Spangler Cup, and he did that representing Team Canada. I got to see him two seasons ago uh, in the show, the showcase for the World Juniors in Michigan as well, and that was him and Sam Girard when Girard was still part of the National Predators organization as well for Team Canada. So he has done everything he possibly could really accomplish in the way that Boston was going. They weren't going to win a national championship with the way that team was trending, so it was the right time to turn pro. And now he's getting an opportunity here, and the thing that I see this as – it's an upgrade over the third pairing that we that the Predators currently have that we're seeing on the ice mm-hmm. right now. And if he can fit in and mesh well, Matt Irwin's is a good dude. But no. Yeah. I mean, if it's not working, it's not working. And Boyle mentioned, you know, likely having him in that third pairing over the next few games to get him that. Yeah. I mean, if it's not they always say if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, you need to fix it. It broke. It did. So. So, and with Dan Ham, he's obviously getting better. He's been taking part in normal skates and everything like that, too. I'd love to see a, a Ham Hughes Fabro pairing. Yep. Because then you have a good a veteran, and then you have Fabro who can activate a little bit as well, but you have Ham Hughes back there. And Ham Hughes, people might underscore that a little bit. They might say, oh, well, how big of an. It's, a, he, it's an upgrade. Well, yeah, and think about when he's <laughs> when he was out, you started to realize how valuable he was to oh, that yeah. team. Oh, yeah. You don't really realize have, that when he flies yeah. under the radar until he's gone. Right, and I'm not saying that Dante Fabro is going to Charlie McAvoy it. He's no, not going to come no. and just blow people away. You shouldn't expect that. You shouldn't expect that. But the thing is, and what I'd love to see, is Fabro get in, especially if you're getting him a regular season game against a team that's struggling, put him on the power play. He... <laughs> He's a, he's an offensive loose. defenseman, okay? Yeah. You want to change things up on the power play and you want to protect him overall. Granted, what we saw in the last game, the Predators went very purds on the power play. But, hey, they scored a shorthanded goal. Yeah. Uh, so give Dante Fabro an opportunity in the power play. Mix it up a little bit. Give him an opportunity to shine because that's where he could shine. And who knows what's going to happen out there. If that's what you want to do is give him a chance. You don't have to necessarily just dangle him and protect him as much like you would some other players. Shoot, Rem Pitlick didn't even get protected that much. He had plenty of ice time in his debut, mm-hmm. and he even had a couple opportunities to get on the score sheet, aside from just his delay game penalty, which is dumb. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> but he had a couple of great passes, like we said, to Mikel Grenland. So what I want to see out of Dante Fabro is to get two, three games in before the playoffs start and see where it's at. If it, if it looks like that he's just going to be way too exposed, okay. But there's no hurt in giving him some of that experience because if it's an upgrade and he's solid out there for a good six or seven minutes – that's all you need out of a third pairing is a solid six or seven minutes because the top four are going to eat all the rest of those. Yep. That's fine. Yeah. 
you know, give him the experience, but also this is where you get to see what he is capable mm-hmm. of. Throw him on the power way. Put him, put him in places where you get to actually see him capitalize on what he's made of. I mean, yeah. it's, that's the only way you're going to learn what type of player he is, is to put him in those different scenarios. So, yeah. I mean, as a defenseman, would... he had a 33 points in 38 games this past season. Yeah. On, on a team that was average overall yeah they won their first round in in their conference playoffs but yeah and I think I think I read that he was the only college player to have at least 30 points and 80 block shots a season so he's he's doing things right and I think that Mm -hmm. he is going to with a little bit of practice um, a little bit of time with the team I think that he will be able to jump in there you know like Justin said keep expectations low but I think he's going to be able to jump in there and learn the system after you know a handful of games so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see I'm really excited to see what he's made of yeah, and then Rem Pitlick, who from Minnesota made his debut mm-hmm. for the Predators in that win over Minnesota, and in his debut he had 9.43 on the ice, not yep. too shabby. I mean, you have other players that get way less in yep. the debut, but he was playing on on a scoring line. He was playing on a line where you're expecting to score some goals, and he was out there for some opportunities. So good to see him do that. Rem Pitlick, for those of you that don't know, he was he <laughs> he really came alive this past season for the Minnesota Gophers on a team that. Some up and down times as well, but Rem Pitlick, he had 45 points in 38 games. That was good for third in the Big Ten. Third in the Big Ten, because the other two were tied at 50. Rem Pitlick, he he can put up the numbers. So I like seeing the addition of him. I like seeing these guys as quasi-black aces, even though he got a game in as well. I mean, who knows? That's how you know if an injury happens. Yep. You have these guys that can can step in. And then with Salamaki and Watson getting back in, Preds are loading up with depth. And what that shows, too, is there's competition. Mm-hmm. in practice and everything too they need to push themselves harder you have guys that are playing for your spot now there, there aren't roster limitations they can call up as many people as they want to and have them there and you are truly battling for a spot that's Pitlick, that's grimaldi that's watson that's salamaki that's everyone out there goudreau mm-hmm. everyone's battling for a spot should make them play harder should make them play faster should make them want it even more yeah i'm not saying there's a lack of want but it's one of those things you want to see that extra that extra little bit of push when they're on the ice, because they know their roster spot is not safe. They are. They just are. Kyle Turris got scratched twice. Yeah. Healthy and scratch. I, yep. And I liked seeing Pitlick on the line with Turris and Grenland because it's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of those things, too, where Kyle Turris needed to step his game up. So yep. switch it up, throw him in yep. there, see if maybe that can jumpstart him. Yep. All right. We're going to touch on the stats in the last segment because got a little too far in our prospects there, too. But up next, we're going to talk. Columbus Blue Jackets, Predators host them on Saturday. They are trying to make that push for the playoffs after going all in. Mark Shiga, the hockey writer, is coming up next here on Pelling the Box Radio. You're listening to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes, Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Josh, slew full of interns in here as well joining us. Up next, we're going to talk Columbus Blue Jackets. That's who the Predators are hosting this Saturday. Mark Sheeg of the Hockey Rider joining us right now. Mark, how's it going, man? What's going on, Justin? How are you? Hey, it's good to have you back on. It's been a while, man. It has been way too long. So, hey, the Columbus Blue Jackets, what are the feelings like in Columbus right now. They've won two in a row. They're obviously battling for those final few positions with a few other teams. It's basically down to where there's going to be one team out is what it's kind of looking like in the East of those that are battling. What are, what's the feel in Columbus right now amongst the fan base and the team? 
nervous. There's definitely a nervousness. Like even though they were winning three nothing in the third period against the Islanders, it was really quiet. You know, there was still some cheering going on, obviously some excitement, but unfortunately the fans are used to losing. And when they saw the slide after the trade deadline, all the old feelings kind of came back, and there's kind of a belief of, well, we'll believe it when we see it. So. You know, until they see it, I think nervousness is going to stay around, um, especially with this fan base. And, Mark, the trade deadline this year looked to be a huge turnaround for this team. March ended up being more of a struggle than I think most anyone expected after all those additions. But like Justin mentioned, the last couple of games, uh, we're seeing more of this team that you guys were wanting to see, especially while they're vying for a playoff spot. So what are you seeing as of late in their games that seems to finally be clicking for this team? There's a couple. That's a great question. There's a couple of things that are really working for the Blue Jackets, and it's the same old formula that's worked in previous seasons. Sergei Bobrovsky, I tell you what, with everything that he's gone through, with all the so-called drama that he's had to go through all season, he's finally found kind of his game where he's just so zoned in on the puck right now that he's got shutouts in three of his last four starts. So he's playing his best hockey of the year at the right time. And it just so happens the Blue Jackets are just following his lead. And then since the deadline, there was a lot of struggle. Tortorell was trying to find lines that were working and trying to get chemistry. And, you know, you would think having 620 goal scores, everything would just magically work. And there was a lot of line juggling. There was you know, some lost confidence. There were guys who weren't used to playing with the pressure. So they've had to tinker a little bit. And now they've finally found a little bit of a flow with getting you know, Matthew Shane and Ryan Dezingle playing together. And then the top line has been struggling for the longest time, finally broke out the other night. So, you know, that's kind of the formula. If Bobrovsky's playing the way he's playing, if the top line continues to perform the way they're performing and the other guys are starting to finally get used to the way Columbus is playing, you know, things might start to finally look up for them. Okay, Mark, I'm going to pose an interesting question here because it's a trade deadline one, but it's also about keeping some of those potential free agents as well. So, at the trade deadline, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, uh, Keith Kincaid, uh, and Adam McQuaid. Out of those guys, are w- which one of them is impressing you the most, or is it the whole point of keeping Artemi Panarin and Bobrovsky? Are those the more important, quote-unquote, acquisitions in order keeping them? Which is more important to you based on all those players? That's a really – you said interesting question. That is a great <laughs> question. <laughs> I think ultimately you – know, they want they want to win. They, they they were all in. So ultimately, their best chance to do that was to keep Panarin and Borowski. I mean, of that crew, they're the two best players. So ultimately, they have to ride those horses. They weren't looking for futures. They had many offers for them. They weren't ready to do that. They were, this was their chance. This is their one shot to finally go all in, to finally win a playoff round. If they were going to do that, trading Bobrovsky and Panarin was not going to work for them. I think that's what they had in mind. But then in terms of just impress, especially with the new guys, I'd like the Kincaid move, even though he hasn't played yet. If something were to happen to Bobrovsky, I mean, it would be Jonas Corposalo, it would be Keith Kincaid. At least you have somebody that you can slip in there in the unfortunate event of an injury. McQuaid was off to a little bit of a slow start, but he started to pick up a little bit. He's kind of that physical presence back there. He's always in somebody's face if he need to be. He's a good shot blocker. You know, I know the analytics people don't really like to look at that, but it makes a big impact for um, the Blue Jackets. But Duchesne, I tell you what, he, the, the, the numbers aren't showing it, but he's really starting to you know, make his presence felt. Just the way that he's able to balance the lineup and some of the plays that he's making. I think there was a little bit of an adjustment period for him, but he's really starting to 
play with a little bit more confidence that he wasn't showing early on. Again, Mark Shiga, the hockey writer, joining us to talk Columbus Blue Jackets. Mark, Nick Foligno, it's been such a, a, a trying year for him, just dealing with mm-hmm. his son's health and everything, and I know it's, it's been a, a big thing for the community up there and supporting him as the, the captain. Him returning to the lineup, though, and having that support of the team, how big is it to that organization just to be able to have him on the ice and be a part of the locker room for this club? I think priceless is the word there because he is the leader of that team. And just knowing that he's there, you know, he might not be the best player on that team, but gosh, any time that you need something, you know, he, he was always there. The, the, the players really look up to him and his leadership and his passion, like just the energy that he's able to bring on the ice. You just can't put a price on how important that is. And then I think it's also a rallying point for the team too, knowing obviously it's well documented what's happened to his daughter Milana. And then also you just mentioned with his son and the pneumonia situation, um, it's given up, it's given an opportunity to other players such as Seth Jones and others to become, you know, kind of take on a leadership role while he wasn't there. You know, they were talking to each other during the slump kind of trying to get out of it. But as soon as he came back, you could just tell that there was an energy that was missing. Um, And with him being back, that's something that could carry him down the final stretch here of these last six or seven games. And you mentioned Seth Jones, and obviously Columbus and Nashville are always going to be connected because of that trade and, and how it went down, how they saw each other at the airport, and how it was just funny how that happened too. But Seth Jones has had his chance to develop into a star blue liner in Columbus. Overall, now looking at this a few years later, what are your thoughts on Seth Jones? Is he developing into that, that true number one? And, I mean, to me, it's looking like he has that potential to be a future Norris Trophy candidate. Oh, he's always – yeah, he could have – he was definitely in the conversation for the Norris last year. And, I mean, third in the league in minutes, just he does everything. I mean, offensively, defensively, he's just everything that you could possibly want in a number one defenseman. And going going back to that trade, they'll always be connected. But – Name a better hockey trade in, in in recent memory. I can't think of any just because the the need was there for both teams. Nashville needed that mm-hmm. center. Columbus needed that anchor defenseman. I mean, it's fit like a glove on both sides. And Jones has been everything and then some. Would not surprise me eventually once Polino is done in Columbus that Seth Jones is the future captain of the Blue Jackets. He's just taken so many leaps and bounds, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. I mean, he's very well-spoken for, you know, he represents the community well. He does everything that you want to see out of somebody who's eventually going to step into that role. And he's really grown into that um, this season for them. And that article he wrote with his mom was pretty funny, too. (laughs) That was was a hilarious article. (laughs) So now look at another name you mentioned before, too, Artemi Panarin. Obviously, 78 points in 73 games, so he's he's having a a good season. But it seems like he's been a little cold in the month of March. I mean, one goal in the entire month. Is he feeling a lot of pressure to perform? Is it something that he is usually this kind of, of a streaky goal scorer? I mean, he's only at 26 goals, and obviously they could use more goal scoring just to make sure they get those wins. So what's the pressure been like on, on Breadman? Yeah, it, I mean, he's feeling it. I mean, obviously, if you're game planning against the Columbus Blue Jackets, how are you going to stop them? You have to stop the top line of Atkinson, Panarin, and you know, whether it be Matthew Shane or Pierre Luc Dubois, they've been kind of alternating. But Panarin drives the play, so a lot of teams focus on him. If they take away his time and space, you know, it, the effects are felt by his other line mates, and then eventually down the lineup. So. You know, in trying to stop them, teams have really put a focus on him, and it's led to their biggest slump of the season up until just the other night. 
So, yeah, I mean, everything going on, you've got the possibly going into unrestricted free agency and all the talk to him not coming back to Columbus. I mean, for the most part, he's done a great job of being able to kind of put that behind him and focusing and playing. But now, you know, trade deadline's gone and he can now focus on trying to get to the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's something that, yeah, he's going to feel the pressure. It, it's different. I mean, we forget that he hasn't really been in the league that long and trying to go and make a deep playoff run like that. It's something he really hasn't been accustomed to. So he's adjusting. I think all the Blue Jackets are still one of the youngest teams in all of hockey. So they're very much learning. So I think that the more they get into this and they realize that their backs are against the wall and they have to play with desperation, I think that they're learning how to understand the situation, understand how they have to play to be able to make it work. And it starts with them. And the other night they, they were wonderful. So I think they're ready to try to make their final push for them to get in that playoff spot. Excellent. And, Mark, before we have to let you go, i uh, got about a minute left here, too. This team going all in and making all these moves, what's the fan base reaction been like in seeing their team saying, hey, we really want to make this push. We know that things can be different next year. We're going to make all these moves. What is their reaction to all these moves being made? They loved it. I mean, it's something that they're not used to. They're always saying draft and develop, draft and develop. But, They've been waiting for this moment to say, you know what, we're going to go for it. We care about winning. I mean, 20 years of not having one playoff round win under their belt. I mean, they stuck behind this team. They've been patiently waiting. Finally, the opportunity came, and now they get to sit back and see how it all goes. But we'll see what happens. I mean, they've been waiting, and hopefully they get paid off. All right. Well, I know a lot of people down here would love to see you because it's fun just to see a team go all in like that, and obviously – God knows the fans up there deserve it. They they deserve to have a at least a round one win up there too. So you got you got a lot of support from down south for the Columbus up there. <laughs> well, that's well, that's awesome. They definitely appreciate that, and I think a lot of Blue Jackets fans, um, if their if their team is out of it, I think they root for Nashville too. I think the feelings mutual. There you go. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate your insight on the Blue Jackets. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, folks. That is Mark Sheig with the Hockey Writer. Covers the Columbus Blue Jackets and hey, and the Erie Otters, and he does junior hockey, pro hockey, everything up there. So great insight there on the Columbus Blue Jackets, who the Nashville Predators host this Saturday at Bridgestone Arena. Okay, up next we have talk of turnovers and answering your questions. And hey, I have one dumb thing said on Pred's Facebook. Surprise! Only one. <laughs> Only one. Up next on Penalty Box Radio, you're listening to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Josh, Spider Jack, interns Danielle and Abigail in here with us too, giving us mucho support. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Okay, we have so much to cover, so I'm going to get right into it. I have one dumb thing said on Pred's Facebook. But keep in mind that I got Justin to clarify that there were more dumb things said, but he's only oh, reading more. Way, way more, way more. Okay. Okay, so everybody has the players they like to pick on, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the player now that people like to pick on? You had Kevin Fiala before. Yeah, yeah. So who, who's been the one that people love to pick on all the time? Who is it? It's P.K. Subban, right? Well, yeah, probably. So would you say that he is? he's had a couple rough games, right? Mm-hmm. A couple rough games. But do you think he's he's awful? Just an awful defenseman? Oh, just terrible. Terrible. Just so, terrible. <clears throat> go ahead and crucify me, dot, 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 but P.K. is garbage. Six exclamation marks. Oh, my God. You know, there are plenty of players you could say are garbage because of how they play, they underperform, whatnot. 
but I'm sorry. P.K. Suma's not garbage. Is he having rough games? Yeah, he's had a few. He's battled injury? Yeah. That's the person that right now is excited about the Fabro talk because they're like, oh, just one game burns oh. off first year of extension. Nine million cap space freed up. Get rid of P.K. Subban. Expose the- him. Yeah. Expose him. Just go ahead and get rid now. of P.K. Now. Now. Yeah. Haven't seen Fabro play one game, but oh, but well, you can get rid of P.K. now. P.K.'s out. <laughs> okay. There's been lots of talk of turnovers, too. And so I have some stuff that could support or not support it. But I wanted to take a look at and thank you so much to, to Jack over here for getting all these statistics down here about giveaways. Just in the Central Division now, okay? <laughs> this is kind of funny. Four of the top five players with the most giveaways in the Central Division all play for the Dallas Stars. Wow. So, uh, Mira Heiskanen has uh, 90 uh. in 76 games. That's good for 1.18. You had Asa Lindell Ooh. with 85 in 76 games. Uh, then you have Jacob Truba for the Jets. Then John Klingberg. And then Jamie Benn. <laughs> and then, oh, and then Radulov is right there, too. Oh. So that's in the top seven. Now, in terms of the first Predator to be on the top of this list, you have a former Predator, Kevin Fiala, at .87 per game. And that's good for, like, just barely in the top ten. Philip Forsberg's next, which you kind of expect out of forwards. And then looking all the way down uh, in terms of total numbers of giveaways is P.K. Subban, 53 and 58 games. But that's good for .914 giveaways per game, which would rank him probably somewhere in the middle. But when you want to look at top in the league, Central Division is not that bad when you look at the rest of the league. So <laughs> the rest of the league, the top giveaway number is Mike Matheson with 120. He plays for Florida. Jeff Petrie, 114 giveaways in 76 games. Johnny Gaudreau for Calgary, who's having a fantastic season, mm-hmm. 112 giveaways. Brent Burns. Wow. You know, remember what Drew Doughty said about Brent Burns? Man. 111. And Aaron Ekblad, another defenseman who is starting to get that overrated talk at 109. Those are the top in the NHL. So, P.K. Subban is nowhere near that, luckily. Yeah. I mean, I know people want to talk about turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. In his last game, P.K. Subban is only credited with two giveaways. Mm-hmm. It can be bad. And, yes, he has struggled. But, y'all, he's not garbage. He really is not garbage. He is still an elite defenseman, and elite defensemen struggle. Case in point, Roman Yossi with his awful pass that led to a turnover. Right? Is he still elite defenseman? Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things when you look at this, I understand if you want to have a hot take, you want to have an emotional reaction, but temper your words on Facebook because I'm going to see it. Yeah, I think I think Yossi right here, <laughs> Yossi's got 64, so. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody's calling him garbage. <laughs> no, they, well, no, they want to strip away his C because oh, he's too. obviously not a good leader it, yeah, on this team. Yeah, a few it's, episodes ago, that's definitely the case. Yeah, no. He's obviously not a, not a good captain at all. He's a horrible captain, horrible, awful. Everything is garbage. And as a pair, let's look at this. Subban and Ekholm, uh, total number of giveaways is 115. Takeaways, 51 for a difference of negative 54. Ellis and Yossi, 121 giveaways and 86 takeaways, a difference of negative 35. Now, obviously, it changes, and it, uh, the big thing to look at is what are they limiting in terms of chances and everything, too. But I just want to look at these to give some people some food for thought. You, you take your own, you know, conclusion to some of these things as well now 59 and 4 so Ellis Neosi produced 94 points and 154 games between the two of them and then P.K. Subban and Matias Ekholm have produced 68 points and 133 games between the two of them so it's it's interesting just to look at this in terms of production because I know people have been on Ellis's behind about production as well and same thing as P.K. Subban the only one that seems to get out of this without much negativity is Matias Ekholm mm-hmm. have you noticed that everywhere on social media Matias Ekholm is like Everybody's we cool, yeah. We good. He's underrated still. We're well, yeah, because he's always yeah he's always been in quote under the radar. Yeah, even though 
he's not. Yeah. But he is. So right. yeah, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never find people trashing right. him. So we got about six minutes left. Let's get to our questions. Want to make sure Jack gets in here too. So this one is from Bobby Butler, eighteen sixty five. Best slash favorite NHLer to never win a cup who deserves one. Eric Lindros, the Sedins, Bobby Lou, Ron Hextall, Henrik Lundqvist. For me, for me, it's hard because I grew up as a Red Wings fan, so that was that was tough. Yeah. Because Steve Eiserman is my hockey hero, but I know Jeremy K. Gover would be Alexander Mogilny. <laughs> yes, that was very the, true. The namesake of his son, yeah. Mogilny. Yeah. Glenn, do you have and, one? Well, for me, I mean, getting into hockey back in 2011 was, you know, my first real experience with it. But I'd say Jerome Ginla, just because I uh, remember yeah. that name so pounded in my head. And he's, you know, very, very prominent. Um, so I'd say that he, he'd he be my pick. Yeah. Jack? I think for, you ready for this? Yeah. Are we? Pecorine. There you okay. go. Okay. All right. That's I'll fair. I'll take it. He deserves a cup. He that's does. Fair. He does. That's very fair. He's the, he's the rock of the Predators. He's been the rock <clears throat> of the Predators for how many years now? And he doesn't have anything, no hardware to show for it. He has a Vezina. He's got the Vezina, yeah. yeah. But and I know team but championship. I, yeah. Team championship. Okay. <laughs> Stanley Cup. Next one from Peyton Turnage. What's your favorite memory from this season? My favorite one is in Washington, D.C. And we were there with a huge group of penalty box radio folks who get on the TV broadcast for both teams. And the Predators have a coming out party, basically, and whoop the Capitals in D.C. with PBR folks there on the mom's trip, by the way, too. So I think that's, that's just a, a great one. memory for me is that it was the mom's trip. Huge group of penalty box radio people were there. Everybody had a fantastic time in D.C. Mm-hmm. And they won while they were there. It was it was great. It was great. Anybody else? Kelly think, oh, go ahead. No. So sorry. No, go ahead. I want to Ke- hear it. Kelly Onkroke's hat trick against oh, the yeah. Kings. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. like, it's a depleted lineup. And mm-hmm. he comes in and just out of nowhere, Cali Yarncrow, really? Yeah. <laughs> that, I do remember that did make me happy because at the very beginning of the season, I said I wanted to see that out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, <laughs> uh, Pekka on his birthday shutting out Boston uh, yeah. the day he signed his contract extension mm-hmm. and it was his birthday. I mean, gosh, that's a good day. And he deserved it. So that's my that's one of my ones. Next one out. is from Greg Meinholtz. Uh, what is the maximum airspeed? Velocity of a laden swallow, African or European? Then Josh Wayman. But it's 24, <laughs> on average, it's 24 miles an hour. Depending. <laughs> you looked that, you depending. looked that up, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Do you even get that joke, Jack? It's the same as the last time. No, but I'm impressed that you know stats. Your, 24, yeah. Jack, your assignment is to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, done deal. Okay. Forget schoolwork. <laughs> but the last time we got asked that question, I went into way more detail. I got really excited about it. Yeah, but you now did. I kind of forgot most of it. <laughs> Josh Wayman asks, serious question. I know Pekka will start all the playoff games, but why is it so set in stone? Why can't we go into the playoffs with a strategy to split starts? I mean, the playoffs, you ride who's hot. Um, Peter Laviolette even said today that Pecorine will be the starter in the playoffs. Just enough said. But the good thing is that they're getting used to Saros starts now, and mm-hmm. he's not going to be as rushed to go in the playoffs. Do I think Pecorine will have a short leash? I do. I think it'll be one of those things, if he struggles, there's no reason to not force him to stay in there when you know Saros can come in. Yeah. That's the good thing about having two really good goaltenders, that you have that opportunity. You're not going to be scared to put your backup in. Yeah, not every team has that confidence no. in their tandem. So no. they've got that going for them. I mean, if Pex has a bad game, just pull him. Mm-hmm. Just right. pull him. and Don't I mean, force him to stay in. Don't force him to stay in. Yeah. We don't want uh, second round, game seven, and that's, two goals in less than – Yeah. The, that's no way to prepare him for the next game. So Nope. Yeah. This one comes from Ken Clark Nash. When will we return to the era of good feelings? 
Well, Ken, I think that's the, <laughs> the only way that's going to get returned to is the, the Predators winning the Cup, I think, because expectation is so high that good feelings aren't going to come easily. <laughs> they just aren't right now in Nashville because expectations are they, so high. You can't just have a moral victory anymore. Yeah, they don't come from going far in the playoffs. Now it's going to come winning the Cup in the playoffs, and anything yeah. short of that will not get us there. I mean, Steve Dangle said it really well in his one fan reaction video when the Predators beat the Leafs, when they mm-hmm. shut out the Leafs, yeah. when Pecorine did that to the Leafs, is that you know Predators fans aren't that different from Leafs fans now. When you have a taste and you know what it could be like, you're never going to be the same. You're always going to be yelling. You're going to have overreactions. Oh, God, that's what it's turning into is overreactions all the time. And Leafs fans have been like that for decades of expectations, even though they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to lose. But they still have the expectation of we're Toronto. We should be winning the cup, which is fair because you're Toronto and they should be putting together good teams in the, the mecca of hockey like that. But the Predators fans have had that taste. Expectations are high, especially when you keep on bringing these players back and they're, they're contributing all this and they want the team that, that won the President's Trophy to stay together and everything. Yeah. Expectations are going to be really high, and they should be. There's no reason why you shouldn't have this team up to have expectations of you have to win the Cup. Yes, it is really difficult to win the Cup, and I think if they make a run to the Western Conference Final, make a run to the Cup Final, you can say, okay, you know what? They're competitive. They're good. You can still be disappointed because the ultimate expectation is to win the Stanley Cup right now. Especially if you make it into the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And then you get – Right. They always took at least one road game when they went away in that playoff series, and they didn't get anything in Pittsburgh. No, no, no. That's going to be something the Pittsburgh fans are going to hold over national fans for a long Don't time until they that get over that hump. <laughs> Hashtag Sisson scored. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so another question here before I have to go. Twitter list Frankie asked: Is Rem going to see much time, much more time this this season, much more action? I think Rem Pitley could get in another game again. Buffalo, Vancouver, I think those are good opportunities right there for Pitlick to get some more playing time. I think it was great how they put him in against Minnesota, that he'd be feeding off the energy. But I think if you want to see him in there, especially because he's still trying to get used to the system and stuff, you put him against a weaker opponent to give him an opportunity to succeed. That's what I want to see out of these these lines is an opportunity to succeed. Okay, Spider Jack, Danielle and Abigail, thanks for being here. Producer Josh, for Glenn, this is Justin Bradford. Thanks so much for tuning in to Penalty Box Radio here in Nashville's Best Sports Talk, ESPN 1025 The Game.